Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. This is the word of the Lord, it is eternally true. And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies for the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God, and from his temple he heard my voice. My cry for help came into his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of heaven were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils. Fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. And he rode on a cherub and flew, and he appeared on the wings of the wind. And he made darkness canopies around him, a mass of waters, thick clouds of the sky. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, and he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea appeared, the foundations of the world were laid bare by the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath of his nostrils." He sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters, he delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me forth into a broad place, he rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands he has recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not acted wickedly against my God. For all his ordinances were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless toward him, and I kept myself from iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness before his eyes. With the kind you show yourself kind. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. And with the perverted, you show yourself astute. And you save an afflicted people, but your eyes are on the haughty whom you abase. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord illumines my darkness. For by you I can run upon a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock besides our God? God is my strong fortress, and he sets the blameless in his way. He makes my feet like hinds feet, and sets me on my high places. He trains my hands for battle, so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation, and your help makes me great. You enlarged my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. I pursued my enemies and destroyed them and I did not turn back until they were consumed. And I have devoured them and shattered them so that they did not rise and they fell under my feet. 
For you have girded me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also made my enemies turn their backs to me, and I destroyed those who hated me. They looked, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I pulverized them as the dust of the earth. I crushed and stamped them as the mire of the streets. You have also delivered me from the contentions of my people. You have kept me as head of the nations, people whom I have not known serve me. Foreigners pretend obedience to me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be God, the rock of my salvation. The God who executes vengeance for me and brings down peoples under me, who also brings me out from my enemies. You even lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. He is a tower of deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would bless now the preaching of your word. May it, may it feed us and strengthen us. We thank you for your word. We know that it is inspired. It is profitable for teaching and training and rebuke, correction, and that we might be adequate, equipped for every good work. Father, feed us again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're coming to the end of 2 Samuel, and if you look forward, we have a couple more chapters, David's last song, uh, some information on his mighty men, then the census that he takes, and then in 1 King, Kings, uh, David is uh, advanced, very old, and in chapter 2, David dies of 1 Kings. So we're, we're at the end of David's reign. This book has had as its theme conflict, conflict between the house of Saul and the house of David, conflict between David and Saul, conflict between David and his sons, Absalom. And so it's been, it's been a, David's reign has been one of, of yes, conquer, but also conflict. And so it is now, um, and now we get this long psalm of deliverance, it's called. And actually, if you turn, turn in your Bible to Psalm 18, you'll see that Psalm 18 is this psalm. It's printed here at the end of 2 Samuel, and it, uh, it is Psalm 18 with a few uh, minor insignificant changes or words in, uh, the, between the two differences. Uh, verse 1 is missing here uh, of Psalm 18. And verse 1 of Psalm 18 is, I love you, O Lord, my strength. That's how the psalm starts. It's not here in this for whatever reason. I don't know. But notice the introduction here. David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. The Lord delivered him from his enemies. Um, 
You know, David's history could have been narrated as, um, as that of a great and powerful king, but um, this chapter and this song makes it very clear and is concerned that it should be understood as the actions of a great and powerful God, not just a great and powerful king. The only reason David had any success or any triumph and was able to overcome his enemies is because he served a great king, he served a great God. And so, uh, though in the middle of this section he talks about his righteousness, we'll get there. The whole thrust of the, the psalm is, God is great and he has been my rock and my deliverer. Um, we could go, I mean, the, the psalm is very similar. One commentary pointed out that it's very, um, very close to Hannah's song. And of course, where does Hannah's song come? It's right at the beginning of 1 Samuel. And now we're at the end of 2 Samuel. Um, and these are not two books in the Jewish um, Bible. It's all one book. And, uh, and so it, the, the book is almost, it's bookended with these um, songs of praise to the strength of Almighty God and that God brings up nations and brings them down. And God, God's strength is, um, is demonstrated through the actions of of those he blesses. And so there there's so much in this psalm we could we could pick apart every one of these verses and that's not what I want to do tonight. I just want to look at some of the themes that come in this psalm of deliverance and I would say that it, we could break the psalm down into three sections. So 2 through 20 um and then 21 to 31 and then 32 to 51 to the end. And the themes of those sections are these. The first section would be about, the, the, about praise, the intensity of, of praise. And we see it in David's praise of God, and it becomes an example of what we should, the intensity of our own praise should be. The second uh, theme would be the, the importance of our righteousness. So 21 through 31, uh, the, the theme changes there. And David begins to talk about his righteousness. So we'll talk about the importance of our righteousness. And then three, the invincibility of our kingdom, 32 to 51, is about the God being that fortress and the kingdom being uh, without end and forever, the kingdom that uh, Christ reigns over. So let's begin with, with David's praise, 2 through 20. First, note the descriptions that David uses for God. He calls him a rock, and literally in this, in this section, it's, it's better translated crag, right? He is the, the hiding place in the rock, and he is a fortress. God is a deliverer. God is, he says, my God. He's a shield. He's a horn of salvation, and there's, there's a lot of things that that could potentially point toward. There were um, of course, it could be uh, the, you know, a, a horn horn, a, a trumpet, sort of a, a, something that announces deliverance, or he could be speaking of the horns on the altar, which were on the four, four corners of the altar, and um, there is some, some history there that men would flee to the, to the horns of the altar, 
And uh, we have several examples of that in Scripture. And the, the contention was, well, no one would kill somebody right by the horns of salvation or those horns on the altar. And so he's using that as a picture of God being a refuge for him by, by, um, or through the means of that, those horns of salvation. Um, and then he's called a stronghold, he's called a refuge, he's called a savior. And so all these descriptions of God make it clear that David was a, was a man of faith. He, he's not here boasting in what? He's not boasting in his own strength. He's boasting in the strength of God, and all these descriptions are about God's strength, not his own. Now, he's been the beneficiary of God's strength, right? But he's not claiming as a pagan king might want to deify himself, the pagan king would say, this is what I am. I am a shield. I am, you know, I am the fortress. I am God, but not so David. David points toward Yahweh, the one true living God, and ascribes all the, the strength to him, which is only appropriate. He did not boast in his own strength, and um, that makes it clear that he is, like all of us, absolutely dependent upon the Lord. Absolutely dependent upon the Lord. Uh, four through seven, uh, David describes the, the deadly uh, situation that he has been in, right? And we've seen this. Now this is, this is, this is a poetic, this is a poetic rendering of his distress, right? I mean, when we read in 1 Samuel about Saul trying to pin him through the chest with a spear, it just seems like it's Saul and David and a spear and it going into the wall instead of going into David's chest. But it's played out here in this scripture um, in a much more um, poetic and compelling way. He, he speaks of his distress, right? The cords of Sheol surrounded me. Well, when we read that passage, we're really not thinking the cords of Sheol are surrounding David. But nonetheless, they were, right? Those cords of Sheol, the death was close to him, right? Death was very close. It was within inches, right? And Saul's wrath would have been poured out on him and David would have died. Right, the cords of Sheol surrounded me, snares of death confronted me. In my distress, then, I call upon the Lord. Yes, I cried for my God, and from his temple, and this we should be like, this should put us on the edge of our seat. And from his temple, he heard my voice. He heard my voice, and my cry for help came into his ears. Now, that, that's incredible. Right? That he would have the ear of the Almighty. But any Christian who prays has the ear of Almighty God. The same David, the same as you, had um, you, the same as David, has the ear of the Almighty. Right? So stop complaining. Right? Stop fretting. Stop being despondent. God hears your prayers. And that should fill you with great confidence, great ability to plow through the next thing. Um, when your fears arise, then prayers should be sent to God and they will come into his ears because he delights in his children. He delights in his people. 
He delights to give them good things. That must be forgotten. And so, God then responds to this prayer of David, this cry that came to help, and this is where the poetic language just goes like intense, right? Anthropomorphisms everywhere, right? God doesn't have a body. But in this, he's being described as having a body so that we can understand the intensity of his wrath. It's, it's hard for us to think of um, to think of God who doesn't have a body as being angry, right? Because anger for us comes out in our bodies, right? You can tell when somebody's angry because they, they get red in the face, they start trembling, right? Their hands maybe start to clench, their muscles start to tighten up, and their teeth move together, and their voice gets raised, right? But that's, that's what's being described here of God Almighty. And he's responding to David's cry, God help me, with anger. Anger. Not toward David, right? But toward his enemies. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of heaven were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up out of his nostrils. Fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. Heavens bowed, right? Thick darkness under his feet. He rides on a cherub and flew, and he peered on the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies around him, a mass of waters, thick clouds of darkness. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven, and, most, and the Most High uttered his voice. And he sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were laid bare by the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy for those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. So we see this intense picture of God's anger. All of this, right, all of that intensity because, because of what he says in 17 through 20. He sent me from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy for those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me. And then that next phrase. Because he delighted in me. Isn't that glorious? That David has the confidence to say it, right? David, who, had, who was a sinner, right? Whose sins are written large in the rest of this book, right? David the sinner says, no, no, no. God rescued me through all of that because he delighted in me. That takes faith, right? That takes faith to believe that, that God Almighty, whom you have never seen, delights in you. But it is so important that we believe that. God de desires to protect from danger those whom he delights in. Just like a father desires to protect the children he delights in from danger and from disaster. And so th this... That is a beautiful, beautiful section where we see God angry and we should embrace that. God is angry against sinners every day. 
God is particularly angry against sinners who would who would fight against his anointed. Right, the one that he has called and set apart for his work. And and we see his compassion toward his people. And then it shifts into this this area where we all get uncomfortable with David and his psalms. This happens all through the psalms. And David starts talking about his own righteousness. His own righteousness. Right? 21 through 31. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. And we all begin to think, okay, if God rewarded me according to my righteousness... I'm not sure there'd be any reward. There would only be wrath and punishment. Right? <clears throat> he goes on, and, and we think, okay, we can, we can forgive him one statement that, that disregards uh, his, his unrighteousness, but it keeps going. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has repaid me, recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not acted wickedly against my God. For all His ordinances were before me. And as for His statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless toward Him. And I kept myself from sin, from iniquity. Therefore the Lord, therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness before His eyes. And so that whole section is him saying this in different ways. He has been righteous and God has repaid him according to his righteousness. And we think, okay, David, you're either health and wealth or, or clueless. But how can we make sense of this? The, the, there are two ways that we can make sense of this. And I'm not sure the first one is... is the way that I would lean. And that's to say, well, he, he's talking about his imputed righteousness, right? He's talking about by faith in Christ, he's been imputed righteousness, you know, Romans, and he's bringing back what um, we know to be true. But I'm not sure we can, we can even go there. Of course, of course, righteousness is only by faith in Christ. Faith is accredited as righteousness, as we learn from Abraham, and all of that is prior history and would have been known, and, and that's true. But I think even prior to that is just the covenantal context of David's prayer. There's always the context of the covenant, the covenants, God's promises to his people. And so David's prayer presumes this relationship with the Lord based upon covenant, a relationship in which the Lord has promised deliverance and salvation and then has demanded faithfulness from David, right? That's what the covenant says. I will save you, you obey me. That's the covenant, right? David is not saying, so it's all of these, these, this context of righteousness and speaking of righteousness is in the context of the covenant and God's promises. David is not saying he has a claim on God because of his independent moral achievements. No man has a claim on God. No man, because all men have sinned. Right? He's not claiming sinless perfection here. He's assuming that he has a claim on God because God gave him a claim. 
He has a claim on God because God has entered into covenant with him, with man. And so, knowing that, David was was a, a Hebrew who lived according to the law, who lived according to the word of God. And so, what did David do when he sinned? What would David do when he sinned? That's too generic. He would would make sacrifices. He would avail himself of the means of grace that God had given him to deal with those sins, right? So he would give sacrifices. And so in that sense, David has been forgiven those sins he committed because God in his covenant made a place for means of grace and sacrifice to cleanse him from that sin. Now, it had to be repeated year by year, right? And it wasn't the ultimate sacrifice, but it was the sacrifice. And David understood this. It was the sacrifices that pointed toward the one final sacrifice in Jesus Christ. And so every time I think we come across these statements where David is saying, you know, according to my righteousness, the Lord has repaid me, we've got to take a step back and we've got to think, okay, he's not claiming sinless perfection He's saying these words within the covenant context. He's saying these words as a, as a Hebrew, as a Jew, who has availed himself of the means that God has given him for the forgiveness of sins, and that is sacrifice. In fact, that's the same way, that same means by which we are saved. Sacrifice it takes the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. Now we get, so that's that, and that's all I'll say about that. We get to verse 25 through 27, and this is an example of where where modern translations like to clean up Scripture because they can't stand what the, the original actually says. 25, therefore the Lord has recompensed me, actually 26, with the kind you show yourself kind. And we think, okay, that's great. With the blameless you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. Okay, we got this Hebrew parallelism going here. Same word on both sides of the equation. You, you, um, to the kind, you show yourself kind, blameless, blameless, pure, pure. And with the perverted, you show yourself astute. And what is, what is I mean, and then, so the parallelism seems to be gone. Because perverted and astute don't seem to be as parallel as pure and pure. Right now, in the Hebrew, there are different words here, whereas in the first three, there are not different words. It uses the same words on both sides of the equation. But in the fourth one, it's different words, but here are the words. They're in the first side, so when it says, when it says with the perverted, it uses the, the Hebrew verb ikesh, and it means twisted, perverted, crooked, um, and it comes from the verb to twist. So twisted, right? It comes from the verb to twist. Twisted, perverted, or crooked. And per- they're using perverted in the sense of not of crooked, of not of out of joint. And then the second side is pathal, which means crooked, cunning, or twisted, and it's from another verb for twi- to twist. And so I think the best way to translate this is 
To the twisted, you show yourself twisted. To the perverted, you show yourself perverted. To the crooked, you show yourself crooked. And why would they want to clear, clear that up? Well, because why would God ever show himself as perverted or crooked or twisted? Right? Why would God ever do that? Well, the fact of the matter is he does do that. Right? To the crooked, he reveals himself as crooked. He shows himself as um, what they desire or what they think of him. Right? Leviticus, if we go back to Leviticus 26, I think this is where it is. This is what he says to Israel, If then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. I will let loose among you the beasts of the field which will bereave you of your children and destroy your cattle and reduce your numbers so that your roads lie deserted. And if by these things you are not turned to me but act with hostility against me, then I will act with hostility against you. And I, even I, will strike you seven times for your sins. I will also bring upon you a sword which will execute vengeance for the covenants. And when you gather together into your cities, I will send pestilence among you so that you shall be delivered into enemy hands. When I break your staff of bread, ten women will bake your, uh, your bread in one oven and they will uh, bring back your bread in rationed amounts so that you will eat and not be satisfied. Right? So here are people, notice, that are hostile toward God. They're twisted. They're perverted in it. And what does God show himself to be? Hostile. Twisted. He is going to uh, show himself against them. And honestly, this is those who hate God, this is those who hate God will be shown a twisted God and they will never accept his goodness, right? How many, you know, atheists claim that there is no God, but the fact of the matter is, is they all hate him, right? They hate him because they are analyzing this world, and if God does some of the things that he does, well, then he's twisted. And all they can see then is him being twisted. And God reveals himself to them as twisted. They will never get past uh, the question of why would God allow bad things to happen to good people, that sort of um, falsehood. Why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? They won't get past that. And so they... They're twisted in their logic, and God shows himself twisted in their lives. Verse 20, and so, again, look at, that's a good place to go into different translations and see how they translate it, and, uh, and see what they do with those two different Hebrew um, words. But astute seems to me to be too positive, right? Astute. Well, God certainly is astute, but that... There's no, I don't think there's much um, precedence for that word being translated there. I think that it's twisted. Verse 28, the haughty, the proud, he abases, and he does so by not revealing his true character to them. Verse 28, and you save an afflicted people, but your eyes are on the haughty whom you abase. Right? Verses 29 to 31 we get an example of David's confidence in the Lord. You are my lamp. 
The Lord illumines my darkness, for by you I can run upon a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, His way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. Those who don't... And so, you know, 31 says His way is blameless. David knows God, right? David doesn't think God is twisted. David knows God and he knows that His way is blameless. And those who don't think He is not blameless, but should bear all the blame that God deserves the blame for every last terrible thing that has ever happened. And of course, we know that that's wrong. God decreed every terrible thing that happened, but all the terrible that came into the world came by the result of the sin of man. Those who hate God have never determined that they are I mean, they, they have determined. Those who hate God always determine that they are more moral than God. They think they know what is just, God, uh, just and good, better than the one who is justice and goodness himself. Right? Their standard, they try to uh, outpace God in justice and goodness, only to make a mockery of his perfect justice and goodness. Okay, the last section, invincibility of our kingdom, 32 to 51. 32 to 51. And it starts with this, this beautiful question, for who is God besides the Lord? And who is a rock besides our God? And we go through this and we get another list of things that God is. He is a rock. He is a fortress. He is a strong fortress. He, he blesses His servants. He gives them feet like hinds feet. He sets them on high places. He trains His hands for battles. He is a shield of salvation. God's help makes David great, it says. It enlarges his steps. It destroys his enemies. It girds David with strength. It makes his enemies flee. Uh, he, God did not help his enemies. He pulverized them. And David acknowledges that this is what kept him as a king. And foreigners now serve him and fear him. And then we get the final praise in 47 to 51. Right, the, Yahweh lives. Yahweh lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be God, the rock of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and brings down peoples under me, who, bring, who also brings me out from my enemies. You even lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue, rescue me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you. Right? So that's his final praise, and it results in what he intends to do. And that's thanks to the Lord. Give thanks. To give thanks. Right? Every victory you get, every blessing you receive, every time that something, every time that something goes wrong or something goes right in your lives, you should stop and give thanks to the Lord. Because you're short-sighted. And what seems to you bad at the moment may actually be a blessing that you just could not possibly have thought of. How many times have you heard people get hurt terribly in Iraq? And it was God just answering their prayers about medical problems they were feeling and some tumor shows up and it's early and they get it taken care of and they go on and live a long life, right? That's, you know... What, what seems traumatic for us at times sometimes yields those blessings. But even if it doesn't, 
what is traumatic to us yields sanctification, yields holiness, yields um, growth, or should yield growth. He says, therefore, I will give thanks to you, Yahweh, among the nations, and I will sing praises to your name. He is a tower of deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his seed forever, right? And his descendants and his seed forever. It's only God who enables his kingdom to be established. It's only God who keeps that kingdom established. And one reflection on that. Here's David. David, one of the most well-known men of history, right? One of the great kings of Israel. Um, Not just a great king, but a great poet, great musician, a warrior, uh, a, a strong man, slayer of Goliath, right? Just he'd done incredible things over the course of his life. But at the end of his life, what is he doing? He's saying, God did it. That's all he's saying. God did this. It is God who established his throne, and I just happen to be a little cog in the, the great wheel of God's decrees, right? It's God who did these things. And, I, you know, I think we can easily slip into the sort of strange state of, of Christian cockiness, right? Thinking that our progress or our technology or our seminars or our conferences or our activism will get the kingdom of God established. And certainly, God will use us wonderfully. He will use His church. He will use us in the establishment of His kingdom. But it is Him establishing His kingdom. It is not us Um, us doing the work. It is not work that we can take credit for. It's not our activism that will get the kingdom established. And we learn this very slowly. It's his power. It's his power. It's his character. It's his power. It's his desires. It's his, his laying out of history that he might be the one single entity that's glorified in all the universe And so it's that that guarantees the kingdom and the glory. It's that that establishes his kingdom. And so we we need to be humble. And this is a humble, humble prayer if we can understand what David's saying about his righteousness properly. But it's humble because the whole thing is God did it. God has done this. Right? If Trinity grows and we're able to do greater works because of more people, well then, it's God did it. God did it, right? And if, if the church in America, if there's revival that breaks out, it's not going to be because suddenly there's a seminary that tr- finally perfectly trains pastors. It's going to be because the Holy Spirit, who's God, is poured out and its desire, His desire, that revival comes. That's it. And we constantly have to remind ourselves of that because like bodacious little tiny ants, we like to take credit for everything we do. 
what, yet we're just, we're just God's tiny little powerless means to bring about His will. And that's a beautiful thing. The other thing to, that I'll just close on is, is that notice that it ends with God shows loving kindness, that hesed, that, that everlasting loving kindness to his, his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. The kingdom of the Lord is a perpetual kingdom. Jesus Christ is seated on the throne of David. He reigns now as the king of heaven and earth and so and will always reign and so that is the the forever kingdom that's that's demonstrated here and here's David saying God you've done it God you have helped me and and your kingdom will never never end and so praise God we we are looking to uh, looking to live forever in that that eternal kingdom let's close with prayer our father we thank you for your word we thank you for this psalm we thank you that david commemorated your glorious works by writing music and writing psalms and words and lyrics and lord we thank you for this and we thank you that we can find great encouragement in our own position in this world by reading them father we acknowledge that you are the one true living god we acknowledge that there is no good besides you. We acknowledge that whatever uh, good we have done has come from your hands. We acknowledge that whatever kingdom work has brought about salvation to people has been the work of your Spirit. And Father, we certainly have not been able to atone for our own sins. It was only through the blood of your Son, the unblemished Lamb of God, that could accomplish that. And we are eternally grateful. And we, as the citizens of Zion, as the, as the citizens of that, that city with foundations, Father, we pray and we, we will sing your praises for your benefit toward us, your everlasting love, your election that you set upon us before the foundation of the world. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.